if you take your time and allow it to soak in, boy, you pick up so much. So much. Now, I'm going to be preaching today. Melvin picks up next week. Then I come back third week. He comes back on the fourth week. And then on the first Sunday of next month, we're going to talk about Israel and what's going on. See if we can answer the question, who does the land really belong to? And uh, try to look at some historical areas here with Israel to see if we can understand a two-sided story. There's that biblical story, and then there's this historical facts and story from 1917 on up to present day. But we're going to somewhat look at both stories. But let's pray, and we're going to get into the book of Ruth. Father, we want to thank you and praise you that, Lord, you share with us in your word the richness of life. And you have called us to live an abundant life. But we cannot live that abundant life outside of your word. It is in your word, Lord, that we discover the abundant life and the rich inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, you would help us, O Lord, to put the dots together today. That we might see how you speak to us. But as we look over the whole landscape of your word, how we can can connect the dots and see the picture. So, Lord, minister to us. And, Father, we thank you. You know the need of each and every one of us. And we pray, Father, you will give us wisdom, give us knowledge. You would help us in our decisions. And that, Lord, you would guide us that we might be a testimony unto you of what you have done in our lives and how you have developed our lives and how you have led us in the right decisions. So, Lord, glorify yourself through us and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. And that's what's going to take place, in a sense, with Naomi. That through Naomi... God is going to glorify himself. Now understand that Boaz, if you take a look at him, he's representing Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. Naomi and Ruth are the ones who have need of a Redeemer. They're representing us, in a sense. The first kinsman redeemer also is a little picture or look at ourself. Not being able to redeem ourselves. But only when one is willing And that's Boaz, that is willing to pay the price, is able to redeem us. Now, I gave you four reasons a couple of weeks ago, or conditions, that a redeemer had to meet. I know you know them. The four conditions. Number one, he had to be a kinsman. That's why Jesus Christ had to put on flesh and blood. That's why he had to become like us. He had to become part of the human race, in a sense, in order to redeem us. Secondly, he has to be acceptable to both God and to us. For as many as received him, He gave them power to become sons of God. For as many as received him, 
They accepted him. So it has to be acceptable to God. And at Jesus' baptism, if you remember, God says, this is my son in whom I am well, what? Pleased. Acceptable to the Father, but also acceptable to us. The third, he had to be able to pay the debt. What is that pointing towards? He was not trying to pay his own debt of sin, for he knew no sin. He was without sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. He knew no sin, so he was not on the cross paying his own debt. The other two who are on the cross are paying for their debt, for their crime, for their sin. He had no sin. He was on the cross for you and I, paying our debt. For the wages of sin is what? Death. He tasted death for every one of us, Hebrews says. Then the fourth one, he had to be willing. He had to be willing. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, we hear him, Lord, not my will, but what? Your will be done. Willing to do the will of his Father. And he says, My will is not to do my own will, but the will of my Father who has sent me. So he's willing. He's willing. And isn't it strange when Scripture in Corinthians tells us if there first be a willing heart, if there first be a willing heart, there has to be a willingness in you to do whatever you do. There has to be a willingness. And in Jesus Christ, there was that willingness to pay that price in order to redeem, to purchase us, that we might be in this family of God. Those are the four conditions that has to be met. From the time of Adam to the time of Jesus, Man has proven one thing. He cannot save himself. With all the great men that came before Jesus, none of them could deal with the sin issue of man. Adam, and again, a picture of man in this sense, after they sinned, they tried to do what? cover themselves up with some leaves. Because now they recognized they were naked. And they felt ashamed or guilty or whatever. And they tried to make up something that would cover their shame or their nakedness or their sinfulness. From the beginning of time, man has been trying to cover his sinfulness with a made-up God, with a made-up something. He's been trying to deal with his sinfulness, just like Adam did from the very beginning, in trying to cover himself. We're still, in many ways, trying to cover ourselves, even with false gods. In Romans 3, 10 through 12, it says, there's none that is good. No, not one. We're not good enough to earn heaven on our own. None of us are. There is not one of us that are good. And somebody might say, well, I follow the law. And Galatians tells us none of us can follow the law completely. And in verse 13, he says, Christ redeems us from the law. For the law, boy, we cannot be justified. Nor did God ever give the law for the purpose of saving us. He gave us the law in order that we might recognize sin. That we might recognize sin. 
And the main purpose of the law was to lead us to Christ. Was to lead us to Christ. In the book of Ruth, we have this picture story of those who have need of a redeemer. And in the story, it tells us right off how they got in the position they're in. And that they also, Naomi at a point, recognized, I got to reposition myself. Sometime in life, we're out of position. And we need to reposition ourselves if we're going to receive the blessings of God. If we're going to receive what God would have for us, we have to reposition ourselves. And if we're not willing to do that, then we continue to suffer. Even though you think you might be living well, the question is this, can I live better? Even though it looks like you're doing good, can you do better? And do you want to do better? In her position, she was there being an obedient wife. How did Naomi find herself in need of a redeemer? Well, go to Ruth and one through five somewhat tells us why. In the very first verse it says, in the days when the judges ruled, so it tells us the time, when there was a famine in the land of Bethlehem, of Judah. So they left one area so they could eat in another area. There was a famine in her homeland. And she went with her husband to Moab. In Moab, she also suffered some. The suffering was the loss of Imlac, her husband, the loss of her two sons, and she finds herself alone because there's no family there with her to support her at this point. So in verse 5, both Malon and Kilon also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. She's there to defend on her own. Have you ever been on your own trying to make it? It's tough. It's hard. And especially when you're out of a place where there's no family around, nobody close to you around, and you're there what? All by yourself. And that's Naomi at this time. And I want you to understand something here now. Grab this principle because I think we can draw it out of here. She's in Moab and maybe where she should have been was in Bethlehem in Judah. That's the land God gave them. And she's somewhere else. Yet being very submissive to her husband and went with her husband because he moved his family and it tells us why. Because of famine in the land. But then when you look at verse 6, you see something else takes place. That it says in verse 6, when she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people. The Lord has come to the aid of his people. God is now starting to provide food. God is providing the rain. God is providing the great harvests. God is providing what they have need of. Look what she recognized. There in Moab, my needs are not really being met. I'm alone. And guess what she does? She makes the decision to go back 
home where she left. Going back home now, she has these two daughter-in-laws. They're not Jewish. And because they're not Jewish, the rules for them are not the same. Moab didn't have a kinsman redeemer. She goes back home, there's a kinsman redeemer. There's somebody who can help her. But yet she's past age of bearing children. And that's a very important point there. Because it was the children in which the property was passed down to. Also with the responsibility of taking care of mom was passed on to the sons. And in that verse 6 she said, God provided the aid for his people to provide food for them. Naomi and her daughter-in-laws prepared to return home from, from where they were. She's going to take them back with them and finally somewhere as they're traveling, she says, no. Now understand something. This is going to be a difficulty for those Moabite women to adjust where? With these Jewish women. There was going to be a little difficulty there. So Naomi begins to advise her daughter-in-law, you guys need to go back home. You guys need to go back and find a husband who will provide for you. You guys need to go back to your mom and dad. So he asked the daughter-in-laws to return to their homes. Now let's just read very quickly verses 6 through 18 because we want to catch this picture. So in verse 6, when she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of the people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughter-in-laws prepared to return home from there. With her two daughter-in-laws, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would then take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, go back. Now, we didn't travel for a little while. What may have taken place? What may have changed Naomi's mind at this point? I'm taking these two young girls to a complete different country. Now, think of something. You think Naomi was accepted as a Jewish woman very quickly with the Moabites? So she began to understand maybe what these two Moabite women were going to face over in Bethlehem. And her advice to them, go back. Secondly, she really had no way to provide for herself. She's up in age. Who's going to provide for these two young women? in a strange land where they're going. Who's going to take care of them? So after they have traveled for a while, and I imagine that she may have thought about this some, she says to them, it's better for you to go back home. Now, look how she even explains some of that. Then Naomi said to her two daughters, in verse 8, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. It's more likely you will marry someone of your own group than if I take you to Israel that you might marry somebody there. Go back to your mother's home and in the home of another husband. 
you're young enough to remarry and have somebody provide for you and take care of you. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Sound like Elaine now. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me. Even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? See, that's the Jewish law. That if your husband died without children, the brother would marry you and raise up children in his name. In your first husband's name. Wouldn't you, some of you like to marry your brother-in-law? I'm hearing all kinds of grumbling. And, and Naomi says, I'm too old. Go home. Look at verse 14. At this they wept. Again, Oprah cried, kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Ruth clung to her. Now catch verse 15 down through 18. What I want you to catch is the character of Ruth. See Ruth. See Ruth in this now. See God working in Ruth's life here. 15. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her God go back with her. Two things. She's going back to her gods and her people. Catch this about Ruth in 16. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Once she saw that she was determined, she was committed. Now, I want you to take and understand what Ruth is saying she's willing to give up. Then I want you to compare it with what Jesus says in the New Testament. He who has gave up mother, father, brother, sister, home, whatever, And follow me. He has his reward. She's willing to give up her gods in Moab. She's willing to give up and leave her parents in Moab. She's willing to give up her family, cousins, first cousins, second cousins. They're in Moab. And she's going to follow Naomi. Now understand this. I think the time that she's married to her husband, Melo, that There's something about God working in Ruth's life that was different than the other. And Ruth says, Naomi, I'm going to stay with you. Understand this principle. God starts working in your life before you ever commit yourself to him. God works in our lives before we ever commit ourselves to him. He's working. He's doing something. 
He's preparing us for that walk with him, for that commitment to him. He's doing something. Now, chapter 2. They're back home. Now, in chapter 2, we need to recognize this. Naomi understood her relatives. You need to know what relatives you can go to for help. You need to know what people you can call upon for help. Because in life at some point we all will need help. But who do you call upon? Yes, always call upon the Lord first. But within your family structure, who would you go to? Who would you lean upon? You have to know your relatives. You have to know your friends that are really friends. Listen to Naomi, but I want you to listen to what she says about Boaz. Then we're going to look at how God intervened. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Emelah, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. A man of standing. A man of standing. King James says, a mighty man of wealth. A mighty man of wealth. She wouldn't lean on somebody who didn't have no wealth, who couldn't take care of themselves, who had to borrow your car, had to sleep in your bed, had to eat your food. She says, Boaz is able, one of the requirements. Is he able to pay the debt? He's a kinsman, first requirement, had to be part of the family. Those two requirements are met. He is an outstanding, distinguished individual. And he's a man that is able. Now, in verses 2 and 3, make sure I didn't jump ahead here too far. Yep, didn't do it. I want you to see how God guides Ruth. If you will allow God to guide you in your tough times of life, Ruth is in a strange land. She's in a different land. She's there with Naomi. Naomi is too old to go out into the fields and work. That's like us telling Ms. Lord. If you're going to eat today, you go pick your corn. Too old to go out into the garden and really do a garden. I don't have to pick on Miss Laura. I can't do it no more. And Naomi's too old. But Ruth is willing to work. Ruth is willing to do her part. So Ruth says to her mother-in-law, let me go to the fields. Let me go glean. Let me do. So in verse 2 it says, And Ruth, the Moabites, said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I found favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. Go. But catch this. Naomi didn't point out, and maybe she didn't know, what fields belong to Boaz. But God knows which fields to put her in. God knows where to direct her. God knows where to lead her. This is the part of learning to trust God, that God orders our steps, 
God leads us where we're going. God takes us where he wants us to be. She's in a strange place. And she doesn't know Boaz's field from somebody else's field. But somehow, God puts her in Boaz's field. And that's where she gleans from. That's where she gleans from. And verse 4 tells us that Boaz recognized this woman and asked, who is it? And it's explained to him. Now, jump over into verse 19 and 20 with me real quick. God guiding, God doing it in chapter 2. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work at? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. And she said, the Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added that that man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemer. Catch the word one of. Because there's another one who has the right before Boaz. I'm going to say this to you and I want to say it oh so cautiously. There is one that has a right to try to save you before Jesus. There is one that has a right to try to save you before Jesus. I'll let you figure that one out. But I'll tell you before we get done. I think you'll see it in Scripture. And that's part of the battle that takes place within us. And in that verse, he goes on, he said, The name of the man who I worked at is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, He is not stop showing his kindness to us. To the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all the grain. Now look what Naomi says in 22. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls because in someone else's field you might be what? God knows where to place you that you're safe. God knows where to place you where you're safe. But you have to trust God to direct your life. You have to trust God to order your life. You have to trust God with the people he put around you. You have to trust God. And God orders her steps to the right field where she can glean, where she found favor, and where she'll be safe. Now, in chapter 3, Boy, we pick up some good ones here. How do we present ourselves to our Redeemer? How do we present ourselves to our Savior? How do we present ourselves? One, you can never clean yourself up good enough. You can never make yourself shine 
well enough that Jesus says, I want that. No. But there ought to be, when you are approaching, that there's something in you that says, I want to present myself well. Put it in this form. I want to present myself in a humble state. When I dated Elaine, and there was a difference in this. When I dated her, I wore a white shirt over to the house on Sunday. Her dad was a deacon at Antioch Baptist Church. And on Sunday, you wouldn't come into his house with your play clothes on. You came to the house dressed up or in a very decent fashion. Then wear my same clothes I wore out to bed, Cotton Wilcock. I wore a different set of clothing. Naomi is going to tell Ruth how to prepare herself. Remember in Scripture, we have typology and we have symbolism. And there's times we have to determine between those things. And I think this is the way in which we are, in a sense, to present ourselves before our God. And we get very lax with it. Because we say, God don't look at the outer. He only look at the inner. The truth is this. If God didn't care about the outer, he would have never made a priestly garment. If God didn't care about the honor of garment, he would never tell you about a clothing of righteous white raiment. But look what he says. Starting in verse 1 in chapter 3. One day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you? Look at the responsibility Naomi takes. You're in a strange land. You don't even know where to begin. Shouldn't I try to find a home for you? Not only that, not just shelter, but where you'll be taken care of. Well, you will be provided for. And she takes on that responsibility. My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Naomi's recognizing her age. It may not be many more years. And you followed me to a strange land. And Naomi takes on responsibility of saying, I gotta find you a home. I gotta find you a place where you will be provided for. Our God, our Creator says, I gotta find you a home. I gotta find you a way in which you can be provided for. And all my needs are met according to my riches in Christ Jesus. He provides Jesus for me that I might have a home in heaven. He provides Jesus for me that all my needs are met through him. God has a responsibility for every one of his creation. He has a greater responsibility for every one of his children. But God is responsible in getting every man, woman, and child to somehow know the knowledge of Jesus Christ that they either accept or they reject. Sometimes we ask that question, how about that guy off in some village in no man's land, never heard of anything, no missionaries ever been there, It's God's responsibility 
to somehow get the message to that person. And God does. Or he would not be a just and fair God to judge someone who did not know anything about him. I may not know how God does it, but he does it because he takes the responsibility to do it. Just like Naomi took on the responsibility. Naomi could have said, you're not my child. I didn't birth you. I told you to go back home. She didn't say any of that. She took on the responsibility to help find her a home and a place where she would be provided for. Look at the instructions that Naomi gives her. Naomi says, well, you were... For you, will you will be well provided for. If not, Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been a kinsman of ours. Tonight, he will be whittling barley on the threshing floor. Now look at verse 3. Wash yourself. Isn't that strange for scripture? Wash yourself. Here's the picture. Where has Ruth been? In the field. How hot might it be in that field? Whether man or woman, we both sweat, don't we? And the first thing she says to Ruth, wash yourself. Don't approach someone stinking. It does something to them. And she says, wash yourself. Then she says, perfume yourself. The perfume, acceptable. Something that's acceptable. Something that is intriguing. Something that's inviting. Perfume yourself. Get the worldliness off of you. Get the work stink off of you. Get the world sin off of you. Put your best perfume on. Make yourself in some way attractive. You know how we do that? By saying to the Lord Jesus Christ, I need you. I need you to be my Savior. That's our perfume. And then she tells her to do something else. Go put on your best clothes. Go put on your best clothes. I'm not talking about anybody, and I don't want to do that. But I'm seeing something that's happening in the church that I don't understand. We don't have to dress in dressy dress and praise God for that. But this friend of mine tells me there's those that he went to church and he's seen women coming into church, their midrib is all open, they just have on these little things and then you come to church with uh, short shorts on and you come to church with flops on and men come to church with flops on and short jeans and or, or whatever, and somewhere in our dress, we begin to lose a reverence and a respect for God. If we got an invitation to, to go meet Joe Biden or Obama or any president, how many of you would go with your work clothes on? Just think about it. If you were really invited to something, how many of you would dress appropriately or dress the opposite way? And yet we come to meet the King of Kings and Lord of Lords on Sunday and we dress any old kind of a way, don't we? What we're doing is slowly reducing the respect and the reverence that we have 
for him. I'm glad I don't have to wear a tie every Sunday. With my wife and the tradition that her dad, I couldn't even wear a colored shirt for many years. I only had to wear a white shirt. It's nice that we can be comfortable. Now here comes the word that's undescribable. What is decent? What is decent? What's decent that I might call decent may not be decent for somebody else. But we need to discover again a level that shows a respect and an honor and a reverence for God. And he says to her, you're going to go meet your redeemer. You're going to go meet this kinsman redeemer. Put on your best clothes. And then look where she directs her to. And this is where we all have to find ourselves with Jesus. He says, Then go down to the dressing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. Verse 4. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. Where is our position before Jesus? At his Every knee shall bow at his feet is our position. And she says to her, lie at his feet. That's our position. At his feet. Then she says, he will tell you what to do. When you place yourself in the right position with Jesus at his feet. He will tell you what to do. He will direct you. He will give you insight and wisdom and knowledge when you place yourself at the right position to really hear from him. That you've humbled yourself. And you're at his feet. And she says, then listen to him, for he will tell you what you are to do. Come on down a little bit further, because that's going to take place. But get yourself cleaned up, perfumed up, change your clothes, get yourself at his feet. Now, go down to verses 10 through 13. Boaz now. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not ran after the young men, whether rich or poor. What is Boaz saying? For some reason, you are willing to give time and respect and honor to an older man? You're not running after the younger men with wealth. And what he's saying, I'm older than you are. I'm older than you are. And why do you even look upon me in that fashion, in this way? You have not ran after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. Now, one of the other things that is letting us know he's older, how is he addressing Ruth? Daughter. 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 And he goes on and he says, Daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. She's found favor. 
the Lord Jesus Christ, when I'm bound, I'm at his feet, and I'm in the position that I should be in, he says, ask me anything. Ask me anything. And he goes on, and he says, I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character, although it is true that I am your near kinsman, a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Now he says to her, there's another kinsman that has a right. There's another kinsman who has a right to redeem you. Let's jump over to chapter 4 for time's sake. I want you to look at verse 9 first. Because Boaz brings this other kinsman before these elders and out in public. And his question to the other kinsman, are you willing to redeem her? Now, Remember I told you there's another one first? This person represents you and I. God gives me the privilege and the right to try to save myself before Jesus. He will not remove my self-will or my rejection of him and make me serve him if I think I can save myself. You have first try at it to save yourself. Remember what I said from Adam all the way up to man has been trying to do what? Save himself. And before you came to Jesus Christ, you were trying to save yourself by your own made-up beliefisms, by you thinking you were better than somebody else and you were further ahead of them. You didn't commit adultery. You don't do this. You don't drink. You don't drug. You don't party. You don't... But you never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ either. You were trying to save yourself. This is where we all have to come to. Catch this now. Boy, verse 9. Pick up back up with me in verse 5. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabites, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the, de- of the dead with his property. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate you render, you redeem it yourself. I cannot. We all have to come to a point that we cannot redeem ourselves. He says he would endanger his own estate. What is he talking about? He would endanger what he was going to leave to his own family if he bought on roof and had a child by Ruth, now he has to divide his wealth among not just his family, but also this stepson that comes through Ruth. Now understand what Naomi said some time ago. Naomi said, I'm too old to have a child. One of the things of a redeemer was to be able to redeem but also bring forth heirs for that, that one who had died that the name of that property and wealth would pass on to that child. And he says, I can't do it. Because I put my own kids 
a state at risk. I won't do it. You do it. You do it. You do it. In closing, look at this. Come on down into verse 16 through 17. I'm, I'm sorry. Verse 9 first. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Imelech, Kalo, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth. I have also acquired Ruth, a Moabite. She's my wife now. I take her as my wife. Is he willing? Yes. What was a Moabite? One of the enemies of Israel. She's not Jewish. What used to be one of the Jewish laws? You do not marry outside of Israel. What is he doing? He's marrying a Moabite. Look what God does. God provides for Naomi and Ruth. Under this one covering of this kinsman called Boaz. If there's just one person really saved in a family, that one person causes a covering for everybody in that household. I didn't say everybody saved, but a covering for that family. And he goes on and he says, The widow of my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. Was he willing? He says it in public. He said, you be witnesses. I will buy the land from Naomi, and I will take Ruth as my wife. There's the willingness. Now look what is so good about this. When we allow God to work in our lives, we will never know what God will do in our lives. But if you learn to walk with God one day at a time, hour by hour, minute by minute, and you'll really allow him to direct your life, just don't play religious, but you're really serious about walking and living for God. You have no idea, you cannot imagine what God will do through you. Look what happens in verse 16 and 17. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. Then the women living there said, Naomi has a son. Naomi didn't have a son. But her daughter-in-law raised up a son in the name of her son who owns the property now that Naomi would in a sense could only be a caretaker of but not really own. And they named him Obed. Look what takes place. He was the father of Jesse and the father of David. Jesse, the father of David. And David establishes the throne that God makes a promise. I will have somebody in your family always sit on that throne. And who is that somebody? Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of all Redeemers, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. He sits on the throne of David whose great-great-grandmother, a Moabite. It's not about where you come from. It's about where God's taken you. And you have no idea how far God is going to take you when you really surrender to him. You have no idea. None at all. Father, thank you, Lord, for showing us Jesus Christ as our Redeemer, but showing us also, Lord, what we must do. And Lord, it's hard, it's difficult at times. 
But Lord, would you teach us to walk with you? Would you teach us to trust you? Would you teach us to forsake everything else and live for you? Lord, minister to us. And Lord, as we prepare to take of this table, minister to us. Let us not take of these cups with any known sin in our life. But may we take the moment to say, Lord, forgive me. Wash me. Cleanse me. And it only takes a moment to ask God to wash you in the blood of Christ and to forgive you of your sin. And he's faithful and just. He will forgive you if you ask him. And as we partake of this table, Lord, help us to remember what the Redeemer has done for us. That he was willing to pay the price to give his life, to taste death for every one of us, that we might have a right to eternal life. Minister to us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Elders, would you come? Men, would you come?